Hello, everyone. Welcome to a special episode of Love, Rinse, Repeat, a podcast recorded on Darkinjung land by me, Liam Miller. He, him, here's a minister in the Uniting Church in Australia. We have a special episode today. We thought given uh, New Year's Eve is approaching or is here in Australia, uh, you know, since you won't be able to go out and kiss strangers, the next best thing is to listen to strangers talk uh, about theology and the church and, and, and things of that nature. Uh, hopefully that will be a, you know, something of a substitute for, for whatever plans you would have normally been doing on this evening. Uh, I'm going to hand over to our guests to kind of introduce themselves and to give a little bit of who they are, uh, you know, where they're working from, what they spend their days doing. And I guess um, I'll throw in one of those, you know, classic kind of icebreaker warming question. Have you ever kept a resolution, a New Year's resolution? Have you ever kept a New Year's resolution through 365 days. And that's assuming, obviously, that you, you, you are the kind of person to make them. Uh, so, well, and that can be its own thing. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll hand over. Whoever wants to jump in first can 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 jump in first. We'll, we'll do an introduction. Oh, this was bad hosting. Uh, <laughs> Laura Jean, you've been on the podcast before, so uh, you can you can you can jump in. It's just like at the potluck when they say, somebody just be the first person to get in line and everyone's <laughs> in a semicircle with the empty plates. Um, <laughs> so I'm Laura Jean. Um, I currently live in Atlanta, Georgia. I am an unemployed substitute bartender um, because of the pandemic. Um, and I do a lot of writing about the intersections of queerness, queer spirituality, um, mysticism, recovering Christianity after fundamentalism. Um, and I have never kept a new year's resolution. Um, I tried this past year, I tried to do kind of like new year's sort of movements where I was like, what do I want to move into gently and graciously? <laughs> and they were things like just generally less sugar, generally <laughs> less screen time. Like no, 2020, all I did was eat sugar and be on my phone. So we're just, <laughs> just useless, useless. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you for that. Ah, uh, great. Um, Ed, you're next on my screen. <laughs> oh, hi everyone. I'm Ed. I'm a PhD student at Yale, um, specialising in systematic theology. Um, more specifically, I work on uh, yeah uh, concept formation and colonialism, which I think is eventually relatively simple. Um, I. I think that I don't usually keep New Year's resolutions, but I usually have sort of a sense of what I want to do for the year. And last year it was to beat Dark Souls Free, and I did do that this year, <laughs> well done, well done. which was like a, it felt like a very big achievement at the time. So that that's the first thing that came to mind. That's great. And look, you know, you got to pick ones that you you can do. I think that's that's one on one. That's great. Uh, Skylar, have we got to go to you next? Hi, y'all. Um, I'm Skylar. I am uh, finishing up my Master of Divinity degree at Yale this year. Um, so I live in New England and Massachusetts. Um, my training is as an anthropologist, and so I kind of put together theology and anthropology. Um, my projects focus on trans embodiment and American empire um, and all the fun things that go along with that. Um, and I've never been one to make New Year's resolutions. 
um, except for a couple of years ago when I made uh, just a kind of silly resolution to be really gay that year. And I did, in fact, get engaged to my partner that year. Um, but that is the only New Year's resolution I have ever kept. <laughs> Honestly, you've you like peaked, right? You don't have to now. Like that was I that peaked. was it. You did. And, you know, yeah. Go out on top. That's brilliant. <laughs> uh, Radhika. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Radhika. I'm uh, a minister of the word in the Uniting Church uh, in Australia. Uh, I currently serve as minister and team leader uh, at Leichhardt Uniting Church, which is in the kind of inner part of Sydney. It's a brilliant congregation, primarily young adults, very affirming, very justice-oriented, really into music, so all my favourite things. Um, <laughs> I'm married with a, with a little daughter, Anna, who will be three in a, about a week and a bit. Um, yeah, I, I'm also, I don't make really resolutions for myself, but since I became a parent, I've made resolutions around how to, you know, wanting to be a good parent to my girl. Uh, and, and in 2020, it was all about less screen time and more outdoor <laughs> activities. And then the pandemic hit. So yeah, we've been, we've been uh, 20, almost 24 seven on Bluey and Wiggles and Peppa Pig and all those fun things. That's great. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I think screen time was one of those ones that, you know, I had to let go of very <laughs> early on as well. So I appreciate that. Um, I think one year I made a resolution, which was just to be a little bit better at everything I do. Um, I probably failed very miserably, but that was, I'm like, I was going to, that was my uh, anti-resolution resolution. So, so we're actually going to talk more broadly today or more specifically today, I should say about like our theolutions. Uh, our, our resolutions both personally and then we're going to expand it out more broadly in terms of church and academy and beyond uh, in terms of the resolutions we want to see in terms of, 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 of theology, of, of, of Christian practice, of our own work and research. So I guess, again, this is one we can kind of just all take a turn in as we just kind of start to continue to wade into this. And maybe it's related to some of the, you know, things that have been touched on in the introductions, but are there particular things around your own work research, writing, practice that you want to resolve toward, you know, not necessarily making a resolution, but that either you're excited about uh, or wanting to work toward or wanting to focus on or wanting to free more time up. And, and trust me, and I'm going to put this right now, if anyone tweets at any of my dear guests in 364 <laughs> days' time to check in on any of this, blocked, right? <laughs> Out of here. No one's doing that. No one. Okay, so we're putting this out here in a non-accountability zone, uh, and and that's and that's the rule of today. So, look with that with that disclaimer, uh, with that disclaimer, we can we someone someone can uh, jump in with with their own uh, what they where they're going for in in, in total freedom. I, I'm, ha I'm happy to go you first, go. if any, if that's yeah, all right. Yeah. Um, be the person to break the, <laughs> um, the first one to the potluck and allow, allow everyone else to get food. Um, so, like, was thinking quite hard about this. So really appreciate the question, Liam, because it actually invited some reflection. Um, and the, the sort of the next big steps in my program are two big, um, like, comprehensive exams. One on the on critical theory and religion, which will involve reading a lot of um, very fun and heavy stuff, and then one on the early church 
um, on, well, basically theology from 200 to 1500. Um, <laughs> uh, nice limited slice of things. Yeah. That's, um, and I was thinking what I would like to be reading alongside that as not just work and what would be very helpful. And one thing that's really hit me this winter while I've been working on a paper on um, settler colonial habits of homemaking is that whilst I have a decent sense of the broad swathe of colonial histories, um, mainly in the US and with the British Empire in like sort of non-settler colonies, really very little in terms of Australia and New Zealand, the particulars of it are just not something I have a clear grasp of. Um, like outside of the Trail of Tears, for example, I wouldn't have been able to say anything before researching this paper about how, like how the Iroquois related to early settlers or like the Seneca Wars or even what um, the ghost dance was. And so I, I've, I've got a long bibliography now from a couple of books of um, texts that really go into detail about the history of indigenous peoples in the US and in Australia and in New Zealand, um, written from a variety of perspectives. And I think that especially given the work I'm hoping to do theologically, it will be very, very important to have a fully fleshed out view of those histories mm. that I'm not just encountering in theoretical texts in the way that, you know, you'll read a theory text and they'll pick up on a very important historical moment and theorize it. I think it's important for me to actually have a sense of that grounding myself. So my resolution work-wise is while I'm doing my comprehensive exams to get a thorough grounding in the histories of indigenous peoples in settler colonies um, and broaden that base of awareness. Mm. Oh, great. Thank you for that. That's really, yeah, that's a good one. It's a great goal. Um, good luck. <laughs> I hope it, is, hope it is fruitful and, and, and yeah. Uh, Radhika, you kind of waved you were ready to go in. So. Sure. Um, so this last semester I did a, a master subject at our um, theological college uh, with Mike Mawson called uh, Contemporary Theology in a Global Context. And he had us read four books, one of which was Willie Jennings' uh, The Christian Imagination, Theology and the Origins of Race. And it blew my mind, changed my life. It was just one of those books that just, yeah, it was, it was amazing. Uh, and one of his key points um, in his final chapter of that book uh, was talking about one of the things that the church completely distorts in the in the Bible is is inserting ourselves, you know, the supersessionist thing, inserting ourselves as Israel, inserting ourselves into the story as um, the disciples and and maybe even the Pharisees, instead of realizing that we are the Gentiles, we are the people who we're the Canaanite woman, we are the people who have overheard the gospel and have graciously been invited into the family of of Israel, and that again, blew my mind. And so I've been thinking about in 2021, hopefully my church will be coming back to face-to-face worship, but who knows, um, thinking about how to form these young disciples that I've got in my community to ensure that we none of us kind of misunderstand the blessed assurance, mm. misunderstand um, uh, our place in the church because as soon as, you know, as you know, as soon as we place ourselves as Israel, it becomes very easy to look down at the people mm. who are not part of the family. Um, uh, so that I really want to, I want to, I guess my theolution is to practice and to teach 
proper humility in recognizing how how it is just grace is just grace that we have received the gospel and it's not a birthright and it's not a and uh, yeah it's not anything mm. but grace uh, mm. and so that humility is what I want to really want to push in my teaching and and liturgy and music and everything that's what came to mind for me yeah wonderful thank you uh I'd really like to hear from Skylar's dog about <laughs> <laughs> agreed <laughs> Desperately oh, needs to know. <laughs> let's see, Maestro, come here. Come here, baby. <laughs> so um, Maestro, Maestro's resolutions are going to be to um, chase a lot of squirrels, um, I think, in the, in the coming year. And what else are you going to do? Tear apart some toys. Yeah, I think that those are his his resolutions. Definitely do it. Like yeah. He's already got the puppy eyes down perfectly right there. <laughs> yes. All right, now you can go away, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna have Laura Jean go because I think there's about to be a cat and dog altercation. In front of <laughs> I definitely want that to be on screen, but I know that that would be more stressful for you. So I will. I'm I'm a dog person that has found myself living with cats in our 600 square foot apartment. So part of the dogs. Um, so something that I thought a lot about. Um, this was also a really good question. Thank you, Liam, for. Like, like Ed, I kind of, um, it helped me sort of clarify and think about how I live a lot of my life in the tension of um, feeling like there's a tension between the shoulds and the joy. Mm-hmm. Like, is this going to be the year where I really, you know, do more justice and work harder and am really dedicated to dismantling and thinking about my privilege and like that work that is required, um, especially as a white person in America, like, that leaning into that work or is this going to be a year where I'm like no this is a year for play and for gentleness and for making space for yourself and for not condemning yourself and and often I felt like those were like those were the choices like either you're going to be more gentle and listen to like a lot of Brene Brown or you're going to like have a lot more shoulds and like read a lot of books about repentance um but I've really been thinking just in the last like month or two about, is there a place where those two things sit together? So like, for instance, I love, like, I love mysticism. That's where my heart is. So what does it mean for me to read books about mysticism written by marginalized people? And so to say, where's, where does the justice and the joy intersect? Like, I love my guilty pleasure is fantasy. I love fantasy novels. So where are the fantasy novels that are written by Black women? And like, what does it mean to seek out the places where joy and justice intersect instead of seeing them as you're either going to take care of yourself or you're going to dismantle, but be like, well, <laughs> that's, that's also, that's part of white supremacy that says that joy exists by ignoring marginalized people instead of saying your fullest and best life is when these voices are let in, in the areas that you already are soft and find joy in. Mm. And so that's kind of what I want to, to lean into finding finding those those intersecting spots um, of wholeness and repentance and joy and dismantling. Um, yeah. Also, I'm an Enneagram one, and so I keep, it's just really hard if anyone's an Enneagram person, the whole thing about ones is we're supposed to like, 
we're very shitty kind of people and we're supposed to move to seven in health, which is like this sort of free, liberated, joyous. And I'm like, well, I can't do that. It's 2020. Do you all <laughs> I can't be liberated and joyous. There's work to do. But being like, well, where is the work in the liberation and the joy? And do you really believe that in the liberation of the marginalized, you will be liberated as well? Mm -hmm. um, so that's... That's, we'll see, but don't tweet at me <laughs> in December next year, so. Laura Jean, do you know the uh, Broken Earth Trilogy by N.K. No. Jemison? Oh, no, actually, wait, I think it's on hold at my library. I think it might Excellent. be right. Excellent, good. Um, yeah, she also wrote a series called The Inheritance Trilogy, which a friend of mine um, highly recommended. Um, so yeah, sorry, just uh, two immediate point uh, suggestions. I'm sorry, it is. It's on hold in my library right now. Fantastic. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> uh, Scala. Um, I'm really glad now that I'm going after Laura Jean because, wow, I am such a strong one. I am such a strong one. And I have been feeling that like tension between should and it, it, it does really focus in on to to sort of my personal goals too, which have a lot to do with form and style and disciplinarity and all of these shoulds because I, I've spent most of my MDiv thinking this isn't, what I'm doing isn't theology, like it's not theological enough. Um, how do I, how do I move from like my anthropological training into this theological training? Um, and so my sort of resolution is to let go of some of that disciplinarity and on the traditional forms of academic writing that are grounded in cis heteronormative whiteness. Um, and I kind of have been getting to this place by thinking I'm not even sure how to fit work on, um, you know, the trans body or on abolition, which are these central themes. Um, those don't fit into normative structures. Those are what is trying to break those structures down. Um, and so I've been uh, experimenting with my writing and sort of experimental forms of ethnography um, in more affective prose, blending um, poetry with narrative um, and creating um, what I hope can still be rigorous academic work. Um, and so, so that's, that's my, my personal goal is to kind of break free of, of some of these scholarly structures that are really um, confining. And hopefully that, that makes the academy a little bit more open, um, which is something that it could really use in a lot of ways, I think. Mm. I think in a lot of those, like the medium is the message, just as like the way that you're doing the theology and anthropology is is just as important as what you're saying, because the way you're doing it is breaking apart like this heteronormative patriarchy, white supremacy, how you do it breaks it. Um, and nobody told us that. So, well, I mean, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. I guess black women did tell us that. We didn't listen. <laughs> Learning to listen is, yeah, is, is all, all tied up in there, there too as an overarching theme. Learning to listen. That's a good individual resolution. And it's a good resolution for the academy and for the church. And Yes. That, um, sorry, maybe um, both. The, the resolution made me think of um, 
of, of Tressa Jennings um, after whiteness as well because of the way that it blends genre so perfect, I mean, beautifully. Um, and I remember when my dad came out to visit, he was always very excited to meet my professors and so on. And there we are sitting in the um, cafeteria just chatting with Professor Jennings, who, if you've ever met him, has this big, joyous laugh that just you hit. He will like sort of, it, it's amazing. And my dad like sort of at one point, yes, so um, Professor Jennings, what do you think the most important thing for a young aspiring theologian in the world today is? And Jennings sits down at the floor and then chuckles to himself, just says, we need people who listen. <laughs> we need mm. people who are going to listen very carefully to the deep, the depths of what is being said. Mm. Yeah, it was a good answer. So sorry, I just, um, yeah, reflecting back from what Radicus said about Christian imagination to that, Skylar. Mm. I, I, I thought that came out as into all, all those resolutions is, and I'm curious about your own, how, how you wrestle with this, because that's something I wrestle with too. So, so there's a sense of like, okay, I want to investigate this and learn this for myself, right? I recognise this is a gap and I want to know this and I feel it will transform my work, myself, in this positive way. But there's also for all of us, it seems like, and also it's going to affect what I output, right? It's going to affect the sermons I'm doing or the liturgies I'm constructing or the, the papers I'm writing or the, 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 the work that I'm doing in the streets or the, or the you know, um, yeah, the various pieces that, that have been written. Um, and so I'm wondering about that, like, you know, because probably the ideal is I could just think about how, how this affects me and then never have to, you know, and not have to then churn with it and produce, right, or get to the output point, at least, in, you know, maybe not immediately. Um, how do you find that kind of, because I, I find that particularly if I'm reading something, this is always the thought of, oh, that would work well in a sermon or actually maybe if I translate, you know, or that could go into a piece or well, maybe it's an area of research or, or whatever it might be or you know, that's someone I should interview and hear some questions I'm starting to think about. You know, like it's, you, it's so hard just to keep it in here for that, for any time really. And, and uh, so I'm just curious how, how you're thinking about wrestling with those theologians um, in the sense that they're both kind of about that transformation of your own understanding and way and method, but also then going to be about the work that you produce and, and present. I think a lot of it is, it, for me at least, and this is different because than for Skylar or Ed, because I'm not doing very heavily academic work right now. Um, so I'm sure they'll have different answers, but for me, it's trusting that whether consciously or unconsciously, I am being formed by what I'm taking into myself. And to trust that whether I'm taking notes on every single thing I write or underlining or remembering everything I write, that whether I rem remember it consciously or not, as I put that into myself, that's what my writing, that's what comes out in my writing. And that's going to shape and form and to to trust that process more, to trust my unconscious more um, has been a thing for me because I started more academically. Like I, I got my MDiv with hopes to go on and get a PhD. Um, and it's been a little bit hard for me to shift from academic thinking where everything has to be proved and cited and organized and to, to kind of entering into a little more of a flow where you don't cite everything not that you're plagiarizing but you know you're 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 more speaking from your soul you're you're um it's like a current is flowing through you and then going out 
and you decide which water is coming in and then that's going to change the water that's coming out and you're kind of entering into that. And so for me, learning to trust that instead of feeling like I need to grab the water and hold on to it, because if I don't grab the water, then I won't be able to put it out in my writing and being like, trust it, just let it go. It'll go through you. If you don't remember it, it'll still appear in your work. Um, and so that's, that's a process for me sp specifically moving out of academia into more personal um, writing. Mm -hmm. But that's, Skylar Ned, you have to grab the water. So blessings <laughs> upon you. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I mean, I think it's a little bit grabbing the water and and refusing to grab the water at times. Um, I, I and this this goes back to to playing with style. Um, and and um, when I started working on sort of these projects around trans embodiment, um, little over a year and a half ago, uh, my professor said to me, like, Skylar, you're grasp with the materials is great. Your citations are here. Um, you have good ideas. There is something missing. And what's missing is like allowing yourself to use your own body and own story as a authentic and authoritative source for your writing. Um, and that was so freeing and so unexpected um, in sort of the ivory tower of, of Yale um, that I could play around with that. Um, and so I think allowing myself to, to play with the introspectiveness and to, to trust my in, in intuition, whether or not I am journaling um, from uh, whether in the margins of a book or in an actual journal and that my own formation or whether some of that is actually ending up in an academic paper um, is that I'm allowing uh, my, myself to, to be formed and to allow that formation to come into my work in ways that aren't just citing the people who have formed me. Mm -hmm. Um, I have something following directly off that, but um, I'm conscious, Radhika, you um, do you have anything? Um, go ahead, Ed, yeah. and then I'll go. Yeah, so um, one of the one of the things that I've been thinking about throughout the year um, is uh, th this isn't like an absolute distinction, but there's a, a general distinction I think that can be made where sometimes you read and hear things that when you hear them they limit how you think you can speak they set how they set like a standard right now that this has been said i can only say this or i have to try and say this and then you hear things that wow now that i've heard this this gives me permission to speak in this way that i am feeling it is that i feel is right or feel inspired by or suddenly a new way of speaking has become possible i've got words and language that i didn't have before and um, the the comment that you just um, relayed, Skylar, made me think. And it seems just like an absolutely paradigmatic example of speech that makes other people free. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that in most about any field, whether it be the the sort of cloudy realms of abstract academia or a sermon or even a conversation, you find these things where you, you read things that limit how you can think and speak, and then you read things that make new ways of thinking and speaking possible. And one of the things for me in terms of how I read, synthesize, work out my um, research is thinking, what am I reading and doing that 
is making is opening up new worlds of speech and thought and action for me. And how can I think and then communicate these in ways that bring freedom to others in a similar way? Um, and that mean that entails both a learning to. I don't know if humility is quite the right word, but the humility to listen with the hope of being set free by what another person says, and then the care and conscientiousness of thinking, of speaking in ways that empower those that one is speaking with. Um, like that, that's very important for me in all of my work, whether it be like the most abstruse technical thing, which only five people will ever read, or something which I'm writing, which I hope you don't need a graduate degree in theology to make head or tail of. Um, though as Skylar's had plenty of experience, um, I'm usually not quite so good at that. Um, so I'm working on that. <laughs> anyway, that, that's um, something I think can, mm. that's very important to me and how I think through the spiritual nature of my work. I'm an Enneagram 5, by the way, and um, could not be more stereotypically that. <laughs> Um, I really appreciate um, what you what you said, Skylar. I think you know I'm in a I'm in a, a congregational placement now where I can I, I really I can be authentically a young brown woman, and that's so liberating. You know, my first placement, it was a cause for uh, insidious kind of racism and just just an uncomfortability with seeing you know someone who looks like me in the pulpit. And so this place is really wonderful. You know, I can talk in the pulpit and, and in, into my congregation about um, racism and sexism that I've personally experienced and what it means for me to be a second-generation uh, woman, um, and that's wonderful. And I, but I think, I think for me, uh, with 2020 and Black Lives Matter and, and all of that, there's been a part of me that's, that's been resisting that a little bit in going, I don't want my congregation to think, yeah, of course we're committed to anti-racism. We have a brown minister. Like, we've done the job. <laughs> Um, mm. so I want to use my story and I want to be authentically me, but I don't want that to be a crutch for my congregation to not look at, look at themselves in the mirror, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's really helpful. Um, Skylar, I was thinking about your, you know, just to reflect again on, on using that, you know, changing up the methods. I listened to your, uh, AAR paper just the other, the other day. I, 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 I subscribe because like, and we can come back to this in a little while actually, because like, I was like, oh, I can actually do it without a, you know, 20 something hour flight and whatever amount of money I can, you know, attend. Um, and I was intending to watch more in the morning, but having young kids and schedules, it didn't happen. And once I realized so many were being recorded, I was like, okay, I'll just slowly catch up afterwards. But anyway, and, and, and you know, you did, you, know, you begin with, with your a story, a personal story in that paper and then build then into the, you know, the, as, you, as you said yourself, the rigorous academic work. And then, and interestingly, you know, a lot of that work early is the kind of anthropological work and then coming to kind of a very more explicit eschatology toward the end that, you know, kind of that paper maps a bit of what you've been talking about in your method. So curious, one, about how you, you know, going in, you know, bringing it into such a public setting as AAR um, and, and, and that paper as kind of, you know, you know, an example, <clears throat> pardon me, of beginning to, to, you know, follow some of these, you know, the, the advice of your, of your teacher and the like. Uh, yeah, that AAR was uh, exciting and terrifying in that, that regard. Um, that, that paper was actually, it was a 
heavily cut version of sort of my first attempt at, at this, this project. Mm. Um, and trying to think around trans phenomenology and thinking about hauntings, um, and eschatology and, uh, and one of the things that helped was that I think it was, it was written, uh, of initially a full year before I presented it at AAR. So I had a whole year to kind of sit, have gotten re- feedback from a professor, had a few friends read it, um, and to be able to share it, it, it publicly. Um, that definitely is, uh, it's hard. It's hard doing this, this kind of breaking out of, uh, sort of traditional structures. Um, and what, what I sort of see as a a balance and what I saw at AAR was that this, this tension between holding marginalized and privileged identities, um, on one hand, I am queer and trans and disabled. On the other hand, I am white. And that still holds a lot of, of power. Um, and I, it felt important to, to me to, to, to be able to put that in a public platform because I didn't fear for my safety explicitly. Um, but it, it, it took time. And I think it's going to take time for, as I keep playing with these projects of, well, what, what's important and what gets shared publicly and what do I edit out? Um, and I hope that it, it moves, moves towards, uh, and some kind of a theology where the theology that becomes experiential for a whole host of, of, of people. Um, and if we have embodied theology that the number of bodies who can embody theology and the types of bodies that can embody theology um, can be expanding and expanding. And then maybe it doesn't take as much time anymore. Um, Mm. But it was scary for the first time. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing. Um, I guess thinking about um, AAR being online and and now churches being online and other conferences, I mean, um, I don't know, Radica, did you do the homiletics festival since that was online this year? Yeah. And you've been, you've both now gone in person to the US and done yeah. it and, and, and engaged it when it was online. And yeah. um, so I'm guessing I'm thinking about people's, you know, we're thinking about the new year as things will both stay online and potentially begin to retreat from offline or go into hybrid modes or various things like that um, from everything from churches to conferences to uh, relationships. Uh, um, what are people's New Year theolutions around as, as the church and the academy begins to navigate both? Okay, let's say worst case, everything stays online a lot longer than we uh, entirely online as long as then we predicted, or as it starts to navigate, we don't have to necessarily anymore. Uh, so anyone's free to jump in there. I'll offer something just quickly because um, one of the things I've, I've been kind of thinking about and, and I've written in a couple of different things when I've, when these kind of questions, like, oh, and I got asked to contribute to a kind of what can the church learn from from COVID thing, probably one of those pieces that people were writing in the first month 
um, <laughs> as if we had already figured it all out. But like it was, what I did see was 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 ministers and and church folk of, of various stripes rising with panache to um, figure out how do we get everyone access to whatever we're producing, right? Can we send people around to people's homes to help the older folk who've never done Zoom before do Zoom? Can we get people to encourage, invite folks into a house? How do we have stuff that's both live and recorded for, for those who can't, you know, lots of different things or how do, okay, no, some people aren't online at all. We need to have also a written version that gets sent out. Uh, and some of those will need to be enlarged print and you know just lots every and I'm my hope is that that energy that went into that will continue when we don't have to anymore um and we start to wonder okay well who was excluded because our building isn't um accessible um you know up to disability codes who was excluded because we meet when most of the young people are working in a cafe uh you know who do you know how do we think about how we meet in a way that continues to um take every effort possible to make sure people are accessing what it is that we're, we're producing, that we're, that, our, that our community is centering around. So that, that was kind of one of mine. People might want to just jump on to add that or, or their own. Yeah, from a church perspective as well, how to, if we do come back to face-to-face or hybrid worship, how do we ensure that the people who are not in the building still feel a sense of community you know, gathering for worship is really, it's really hard. It's really, really hard yep. when they can see a gathered community that they are physically not a part of. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a really hard thing. But I think the other, I guess, a, a more um, general feeling or uh, I guess concern that I have is that, yeah, we're going to be in this in this pandemic world for a lot longer than 2020. As you, I think, um, Liam, you tweeted about this actually um, and, and did a Facebook post about, you know, the kind of, reluctant you know in Australia our um, our federal government are cutting things like um, uh, payments to people who are out of work um, kind of fairly soon you know uh, I think early next year um, which is an indication of a of an understanding that the pandemic is like it's 2020 news it's not gonna really affect life but it's that's just not true Mm. Um, and, and from a church perspective I'm thinking about how to you know, uh, lead a congregation of young people that are very anxious, obviously, but to be realistic in saying this is not 2020's problem. It's not like come tomorrow, come New Year's Day, uh, you know, the the, the world resets. Um, yeah. But how to sustain hope in that is a really, I, I don't know, I don't know how to do that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I think also coming from this, sort of church perspective. Um, I guess I didn't mention, I also uh, do youth and children's ministry at a congregational church. Um, so, and I have been generally very glad because the the senior pastor of the church is very much like, it's going to be a long haul, mm-hmm. hang in. Um, so, but I think the thing that has really been getting me is the sense that COVID has sort of broken open the some of the resistance to, well, we can't change that because it's different than mm-hmm. what we've always done, which has always been a resistance um, alongside the, the church is dying, but you won't change kind of <laughs> dynamic. Um, and COVID has, has sort of forced so many of us to really push the boundaries of, of how to do, do church. Um, and so just 
thinking about the the, the congregation that I serve, um, where we've gone from Sunday morning worship to, to doing more small group things, mm-hmm. to recording things, to doing outdoor things, to doing like car drive-by things and <laughs> and that there are and and things outside of Sunday mornings and and that there are all of these options and people are engaging like this is a small New England mostly white old congregational church stereotypical and like the recorded Christmas Eve service we put on Facebook got over 450 views. Like the church isn't dying. <laughs> it's transforming, obviously. And and so I want to see that continue. Mm-hmm. I don't think we should do away with in-person Sunday morning worship when it is safe to go back. Um, but I think it will be a real loss to the, the church as a whole in, in both an accessibility and sort of long-term sustainability. Um, for the, for the church, if if we let some of what we've learned during this time fall by the wayside. Mm. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Mm. One thing I'm thinking is um, the for uh, what's the right way of saying this. One of the major effects of the pandemic in my life, certainly, and the um, number of the people I know is the extreme, bringing into extreme relief how people are needed. Um, So not just that people are needed um, in order for certain sense of well-being and togetherness, but how and what it means to like replace that when you can't be in the same room as another person's body um, and the modes of communication and thinking this in line with um, what you were saying earlier, Kira, about um, Eradica. about making sure ways that it's been possible to bring folks in which you want we want to carry forward. There is there were extreme modes of isolation um, pre-pandemic for a substantial number of people, whether physical or mental reasons. And one thing that I think the pandemic brought into relief is what it means to need people who are usually isolated from you what it means to reach out in a meaningful way where it's not just a a token check-in as it were but actually i care about you and i i need you mm-hmm. in a way and so to, to carry forward and sharp relief that sort of hardcore of what it is about human relationships that gives us life in a way that cuts across those boundaries of isolation which existed pre-pandemic um, and you know, without without being invasive, obviously, sometimes people just want to be left alone. Um, but so the the sense of loneliness that we carried forward at the, carried at the beginning can be alleviated by something of how we've learned to deal with loneliness when we have had to be when yeah when when loneliness has been more enforced than it was before. Mm. Thank you. It's so true. I have a, a person in my congregation who suffers from extreme chronic fatigue. And and so this year, you know, with everyone being shut in at their homes, I had a chat with her the other day who said, that's been my life for years. Yeah, People yeah, have not what, understood. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I appreciate it. 
Um, Marjane, any thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, not so much, well, I guess related to the pandemic. Um, I was thinking about a couple years ago, I heard this wonderful sex therapist on, on Bean, um, and I forget her name, but she was tremendous. Um, but she talked about how really healthy relationships are built with, with like just the, the perfect amount of um, risk and safety um, because, and I'm, I'm not, this isn't, this is not my area, so I'm sorry if I say foolish things, but like the, the, the gist of what she was saying was we need, in, in order to, to feel the excitement and the sexual attraction and the energy of a romantic relationship, we need to feel a tiny bit unsafe because there needs to be a little bit of risk. Like it needs to feel, unsafe is the wrong word, but there needs to be a sense of, I don't know, I'm not sure. And that's kind of the spark. But we can really only feel that with someone that we also feel comfortable with and that we feel like we do know and we are sure. Um, and how how it, it it's impossible to have both exactly at the same time. And so a healthy relationship is sometimes kind of weaving in and out of those and, and trying to, to find a way to keep both of those balanced. And thinking about the church and how so many churches seem to prioritize either the risk-taking, the performative, the exciting, the new, and so many churches prioritize never changing. Everybody is happy. All of the old people are the ones giving the money. So we have to make sure that we don't even change the time that evening prayer starts. But how both of those, when when taken to an extreme without the other holding it, it kind of, it disbalances the church. And, and what does it mean for the church to to learn how to step into both of those a little bit more. And also to know, because I think each church kind of has an energy, like a way that they're prone to. And to really honestly look at your community and be like, what, what faction of the church are we leaning heavily towards? And how can we like, how can we move? Like if, if we're an older church that just is doing everything the same, what does it mean to to add some risks and trust that that's healthy even for people who don't love them. And also what does it mean to add more of the safety and the stability in the tradition? Um, and I would love, I would just love the church to think um, more about, more about that. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Thank you. That's really helpful. I was thinking also something that's like, so for where I was for a lot of our folks who, weren't online, so we kind of predominantly did a written service that got delivered via email or delivered to people's letterboxes. Um, and, and what was nice about it was, like, it's a different form, right? And, and you can be much more precise but in less time with, like, with a, a, a sermon reflection because, you know, when you're reading it, you can follow it more. It's like compared to when you're actually speaking, you kind of you really have a good point. You've kind of got to say it, like, three times so, that, you know, you're sure everyone's kind of got it. Um, and, and you've got to, you know, speak in a more, you know, open way and... So one that meant you could kind of fit more kind of thing, you know, or you could at least or you could go a bit more precise or a bit more into something in still like a page um, than what I would think if I was writing out, like I was going to speak, I would need longer. Um, but it also let me like, you know, I could include art and like reflections on art or, or different, or you could kind of go partway through, you might want to do this, like, you know, go for a walk or um, 
talk to the if someone's with you talk to them or whatever it might be you could just break the form up a little more and and it got me thinking to how do we kind of learn from that in in terms of then what we do when we can be in person in that you know is it better would I be better off and I tried this a little bit with some of the stuff and we started doing a bit of a a hybrid thing like just offering that I'm only speaking of like three or four minutes here's like a main one point and a promise and a proclamation and then on Monday, that written thing, which is essentially that but longer with a bit more detail and a bit more examples and a funny story or whatever, goes out. And it's like that can be engaged with. And, and there's a million ways to do that. But, you know, how do we kind of think about the way that we've had to rethink the form, uh, you know, translate beyond? And I think this can translate to, you know, the academic context too. I did a, a course a while back which was like it was an intensive over four days but there were two online sessions before and two online sessions afterwards. So you could kind of get a bit of the info already going, get a bit of the groundwork laid, and then and you knew you had time to kind of mop up anything that wasn't kind of fully dealt with in that. But it meant the week, the in-person ones could be a little more, a little looser, a little more conversational and a little more space, which is good when you're doing an intensive because they're just a grind um, no matter how good everything is done. But it just kind of opened that, that up a little bit and, I, and I'm, I'm thinking about how as we consider that we've now that we've worked out we can communicate with people more than just the um, hour we have on a Sunday so we've got to get it all in as much as we can quickly um this is the only time I can recharge you for the whole week um it's it's we've got now oh we can actually spread some things out and think about how we employ different forms so yeah that, that's a little thought I've been having yeah, well, and I think too that like this, there's a lot of good, the the good things as we hopefully by September, knock on wood, um, start to transition into into um, more in person. Mm. Uh, like you said, Liam, like taking some of these good things and being like, what what are what are congregations going to let us? keep how how much can we is this an opportunity to like move into that risk a little bit and be like now that we've kind of done this like can we sneak that in like I'm similar Skylar similar um my church community is also doing all sorts of like outdoor movies on blow-up screens and like we watch elf outside in the middle of winter and everyone's like got the masks and the blankets and we're spread out on like plastic tarps that are 10 feet apart and like but if people showed up like people showed up outside to elf in like the drizzling georgia winter but like the church never did things like that before like it wasn't creative in that way um and so thinking like what are the things that were good like where can we put like stakes and be like, this was good here. Like this was good here. Like, can we drag these into into the future? Um, and I'm I'm really excited and hopeful for how how churches start to to rethink and reimagine coming the roaring twenties for churches. I'm ready for it. Like I'm so ready for it. <laughs> what um, to, um, it. it uh apologies beforehand potentially i'm just gonna try and um articulate this in relatively simple but quite technical precise language um do my best <laughs> um one of the uh one of the things because you asked liam um, about sort of like resolutions for the church going forward mm. and um one of the things that is very visible in 
Twitter is like sort of a, almost a petri dish for this, but you see it played out in real time in congregations and on in text as well. There's this distinction between or the, one of my favorite philosophers puts it like this: when you confuse um, an empirical statement for a conceptual statement, empirical statement being a statement of fact, like um, this tree is brown, a conceptual statement being something like um, a rule to be a tree is brown. And like you think, picking my own denomination to like sort of hit on here, um, you might think like when someone thinks Anglicans are creedal Christians, and then you can say it as a statement of fact, and it's sometimes true, but then you turn it into a conceptual statement, and suddenly to be an Anglican is to be a creedal Christian. If you're not this, then you're not that, and so on. And a lot of the way that disputes happen in church space from what I see is that people come into them with conceptual statements, rules that they think are statements of fact mm. at the beginning. And those immediately set the course for what can happen in the debate. So thinking like one, there was one recently about like process theology and everyone had an idea of what process theology was or wasn't. And you could like, if, if you had asked anyone to like pick five things that would be said on the basis of this, um, and it's because you confuse statements of facts for rules. One of the things that's been coming about in everything you, you guys were describing is the way that the pandemic breaks down what seem to be set rules for church practice. Um, suddenly, like, something that not just is the case but has to be the case is turned back into a contingent statement of fact, and suddenly the course forward is less bounded. Um, and I'm interested in how theological discourse can help to loosen the absolute hold of certain conceptual patterns, like the way that we form those rules for what we can think, um, which become like the standards that keep us limbed in, in like certain academic settings or the idea of what it is to be a good and just Christian. So rather than thinking, here's X, how do I meet it? think what is this X that I'm actually dealing with and what are the different ways of thinking through the folds of possibility that are there. Um, so yeah, sorry, that, that my abstraction is done. Um, <laughs> taking these wonderful practical concrete reflections and trying to take them into the clouds. But yeah, just breaking down certain patterns of thought that limit us to very predictable patterns that never get anywhere. Mm. Um, mm. I'd be interested if the pandemic, the way that it's, disrupting what's possible for practice can do the same thing for the way we speak and think in relation to each other. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Love that. But I'm going to, I'm going to get you to go back practical. So give me an example of it. <laughs> give me an example of something that, that, yeah. Give us an example. Oh, well, oh, yeah, that's the, uh, the worst thing you can ever ask an academic. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um Right, think, let me think of a good one. Um, so when I arrived at Divinity School, I think it's fair to say that I was relatively close to what um, Professor Jennings in After Whiteness describes as like wanting to be the traditioned man. So someone who like, you know, I've got my tradition, I can see the world through it, and I've got my standard here. Um, and I can remember chatting with um, 
someone who is articulating all of the like political positions I wanted to see following from this and completely diverged me on questions of Christology and so on and so forth. And I was just sitting there saying, no, like to be Jesus Christ is to be this. And I can't remember exactly what it was, but there was a moment in the conversation where it suddenly hit me that I was literally unable to hear what they were saying. Hmm. Like I couldn't hear the words as they meant it. And as a result, I was just being a bit of a dick. Um, so I sort of stopped, was forced to like reflect myself and try and think, right, now, what does it look like for them to be seeing how I'm thinking about Christology? And it looks closed, very closed. So let's try for a moment and think, yes, Jesus Christ is very God, very man in these regards. However, there are other ways of using these terms that can fit with this person's life. Now, suddenly the discussion took a whole different turn, and rather than us butting heads because I wanted to be right about this, it became a matter of like these views thinking together, folding together. Um, and I've still held, I've still held on to, and still hold on to that belief. But rather than it being setting the concepts I had to work with, it was part of a broader arsenal of interpersonal engagement that could help communicate. Like you said, it's all about grace. The same goes for how one thinks the reality of Jesus Christ. And to think the reality of Jesus Christ as grace is often to soften concepts in that way, to allow for different modes of linguistic practice. That's kind of what I mean by concept formation. Um, might work. be the clearest I've ever expressed that. Scott. Yeah, well done. <laughs> <laughs> when the, the idea of, of, of softening concepts of Jesus as grace, like... Ah, I just want to read that whole book. I want to read that whole book. And mm, yeah. Ah. And yeah, not, not, not because you're like sort of getting rid of the content or whatever, but just like, you know, allowing something more than just what these granite words are able to say. Um, Even if one continues to use the words in your way to soften the concept so that you can hear the words used differently, be able to hold them both and say, I, I fully hear you. I have grace for the way you are using those words. I have chosen to be gentle enough to let those words make sense to me, even if ultimately I hold this different meaning. Oh my God, I love that well, so um, much. Uh, I want this all to be blasted across Twitter every <laughs> single day. Like, <laughs> I want it. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. <laughs> and there's something lovely about the, like, and what does it look like for us to now speak together in ways that I've been told by many people we can't? And like, but to be what I think I am means to disavow you. Um, like most of my uh, semi, I, I, every now and again, we'll put together a semi hectoring thread on why people have been stupid and getting into a disagreement. And most of them come down to this one way or another. But this probably sounds a bit nicer. Sorry, I'll step back. <laughs> oh, I was at, uh, I've been sitting next to Ed in a classroom for two years, and I can attest to the fact that that, that is the clearest that he has ever described concept <laughs> formation. Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> I'm usually sitting. Wait, so are we giving are we giving Radhika a gold star for like asking the questions that finally prompted this? <laughs> like, I survived thrive on gold stars. <laughs> you 
get I one. think so. I, I think so. I think Radica really gets a gold star because I think that, I mean, I've also, you know, context is important. Uh, the, the, the classrooms we've been in have not necessarily been the most focused on the practical, shall we say, in every sense of the word. So, um, so it is, it is very good to just say, put that into practice. And there you go. You got to save this. It's good. This is recorded. Yeah, I know. What a, what a coup for love and repeat. I have another Thea resolution for the church. <laughs> that I, this, this, because what's happening here is the church and the academy is very practically talking to each other. Like we have academics, we have pastors, we have me. I don't know where I fit. But the point being that like we, the, the conversations that happen when you put people who are on the ground ministering with people and you have people who are doing the hard theological work with the citations and you get those people talking in a real and personal way, not just on Twitter, but like with faces. And you actually, it's going to make better pastors and better academics. Everyone is going to come out better. That's what I want for the church in 2021. I'm changing my vote. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Oh, that's so good. The, a thing I was thinking about with, with, with this conversation and Ed's point is so like one of the things I'm interested in exploring like this year and potentially, you know, in, in research and that is um, looking at kind of adaptation studies, particularly like in theatre and the like as, as maybe a way in of thinking about the role of doctrine and particularly doctrine's um, malleability. Because, um, you know, you and, and kind of to go to you know, Ed's point, when you're having that conversation or, or the, the process theologians are having it with whoever or whatever it is, whatever the blow up is, usually it's, two people or groups or whatever who have been stirred emotionally by the same thing, right? By some revelatory encounter with Christ or the spirit or whatever language we're using. Some, something has stirred them and there's something in the scriptures and the stories and the symbols of the faith that stir and love them. And now they're trying to figure out how they articulate it, how it impacts their life and works. And I think often we think that because they say it in a different way, they must hate it. Um, they must hate the thing that I love. But truly, it's, it's also coming from the love. And I think the way theatre helps with this is because you can see a very irreverent production of Hamlet, and it's not because the director hates Hamlet. You know, why would the director devote... They could direct any play. They obviously felt something is in Hamlet that's worth still talking, but they wanted to break it apart a little and question some of it and do whatever they wanted to do, put a band on stage and whatever um, they wanted to do. But it's because they love... Hamlet and they love the theatre and they want to, you know, bring it to life. And you might prefer the Globe um, doing it essentially as close to the day as possible. Um, but, it's, but it's both coming because you have an appreciation for this, this play and what it kind of says about what it is to be human in the world. So, like, I think, the, yeah, there's something there too, just remembering sometimes that, like, and it's not an excuse that then you can say whatever you want because you love Jesus because you still got to call out bullshit but but like it's it's you you know oftentimes it's like yeah we're thinking that it, we're all both talking because we have a have found some same point of significance mm. yeah. so as we kind of continue to think about next year are there any you know theologians you know we've talked about our own work is any other people's work that you're very excited that you know is on the horizon for 2021 either you know some people a book you want to read or you know uh, a conference you want to uh, go to or a class you want to take anything we're kind of excited about that you want to like you know draw people's attention to um or just even like you know 
even if it's not a specific thing, oh, I'm seeing some people starting to ask this question and I'm excited to see what begins to come from people pulling those threads. So I'll throw that out. Uh, one book that I'm really excited about coming out, which will also probably be affordable, um, through Duke University Press, they're publishing a collection of Stuart Hall's essays on um, race and colonialism. And um, Stuart Hall is like, he's kind of a forgotten theorist um, who did a lot of work with in cultural studies in, um, in Britain and is one of just straight up the kindest, sharpest, most clear minds when it comes to articulating these extremely difficult things. And so to have a collection of his essays um, in one place on this, um, and actually just a quick shout out, um, if, you, if you're ever wanting to get an academic book and get a sense of like ideology, Marxism, structuralism in a way that makes it a tool you can use, his um, Cultural Studies 1983 for Duke University Press is just amazing. It's just something to go to, refer, pick up some concepts that can help. Um, and yeah, so I'm very excited about that. It's going to be very helpful for the dissertation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very good. <laughs> so. I'm realizing this was a dangerous question because it's just going to cause me to buy more books. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I was going to say that uh, I have quite the stack that I'm trying to to not think about what's on my reading list until I get through the stack, um, and I expect that to hold just about as long until the next you know half off sale from Duke <laughs> University. <Yeah. laughs> It'll break the streak, no matter what. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every time this comes up. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. No, totally. Um, yeah. <laughs> Medicare, Laura Jean, anything on your mind? Uh, I haven't read After Whiteness yet, so that's my January. Mm. Mm. Yeah, nice. I'm an I'm a hermit. I'm a, an old man. I don't ever. I. <laughs> I never know. I never, I'm not on the cutting edge of anything. So like the idea that like there are books coming out that I should know about, I'm, I don't, I am very excited to read a lot of Howard Thurman next year, Mm. but no books are coming out. (laughs) 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 Um, But this, just in this last um, fall, fall season, um, I really did a deep dive into, into Howard Thurman, um, thinking about um, intersections of, of justice and mysticism, especially. Um, and not a lot of people are, are doing that work. Like how is mysticism justice? How is intimacy with God pouring out into the world to like heal the world? Um, except Howard Thurman did all of that always. Um, and I didn't learn about Howard Thurman in seminary. So I don't know. I'm going to break up with my seminary. The point is, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what new books are coming out, but I'm very excited about some some classics that I'm going to return to. Yeah, nice. I'm just going to give a, a quick shout out to my um, one of the top five people I love most in the world, um, Paul Daniels, who's a PhD student at Fordham and a priest now at St John's Episcopal Cathedral in um, New York, who primarily researches Furman at the intersection of justice and mysticism. Um, whose Twitter presence is amazing. I think he's going to have a couple of things coming out looking at this. So, Paul, if you're listening, which I don't think you're on the podcast, I love you, um, and I'm I'm I'm, sh- I'm I'm repping you. So don't worry. Paul is a lot cooler than you would think he is, given that I'm recommending him. <laughs> um, 
yes, what, so. can you can you tell me his name again? Paul Daniels. I'll I'll DM you his um his Twitch presence and so on. He's well worth following. He's brilliant. Skylar knows him as well. That's wonderful. Yeah, I'm very. Um, he's he's going like to be one of like the great preachers of this century as well. Um, God, I hope he doesn't listen to this now because he'll anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful, um, Scarlett. I'm similar. Like, there's a huge stack. Like, um, the, so last year, as in 2019, um, I I I read a lot because I had a long train commute a couple of times a week. Um, and so I was just flying through. It was my last year of ministry formation, but I wasn't doing much actual, I wasn't doing many um, academic subjects. So I just had time to read what I wanted. I just read a lot of theology. So this year I was like, now I'm going to read like more novels, which I have done. But the problem is like now I opened up this whole world of all these novels I want to read. Like, you know, and, and, and or, or I was like, I'll read this more non-theology, non-fiction. And then that's a whole, like, you know, there's other fields and they all have like, all these other books that are there, it's, 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 it's terrifying. It's there's so much. And I, anyway, so, so I've definitely got like a few books that I know are my 2021 bound that have already been released that I want to, but the, the, the book that I do know that's coming out that I'm very excited about is friend of the show, Melissa Flora Bixler's, um, how to have an enemy, um, which, which just from everything she's been tweeting looks phenomenal, um, and very necessary. So I'm 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 more than excited to read that, which I think is a mid-year release. So uh, people can pre-order now if they want to. Um, yeah, great. All right, so we, we've been talking for a while, and we could keep talking, but we shouldn't uh, because you know the 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 ball is dropping. Uh, but I guess I'm going to throw it open as you share anything you want to plug, any ways people can connect with you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, you can also offer some any final thoughts on resolutions for the church, the academy, yourself, whatever you want. You can you can throw that out now as any final thoughts as well as, um, yeah, how people, if you want people to stay connected or get in touch with any of your work, you can also promote that now. And I'll, I'll be the uh, potluck person again. <laughs> um, Sorry, the yes, the um, there's, a, there's, a, there's an AAR paper actually in like you know Jesus as the first to go up in the potluck or some some sort of a, a new a new vision of atonement. <laughs> Jesus is the one who who, who breaks the awkwardness. Um, I, I don't know. That's a freebie. For uh, takes takes the judgment of the people upon himself. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I'm uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, at Anna Ed Centric. I imagine it would be in the thing um nothing much much else to promote look out for me in five years i guess um <laughs> and uh yeah just um the piece of advice i usually try to give myself is um be as gentle to myself as i'd want myself to be to people i love um which is hard but i think the yeah that's yeah. that's what i would leave the year with that's nice I'm on Twitter and Instagram, just uh, my full name, Laura Jean Truman. Uh, my website is the same, Laura Jean Truman. Um, it's a book you should look forward to in 2021. Um, Sarah Bessie is editing um, a prayer book um, that has some really, really wonderful, wonderful collection of women that she's put together writing prayers. Um, I have a prayer in the book. A lot of people that are um, doing really good works at the intersection of justice and prayer and mysticism and spirituality. 
Um, so you should pre-order that for February 2021. Um, and a final, um, I don't know. I, I, I think it's hard to top Ed's thats <laughs> like what does it mean to carry to carry gentleness for ourselves and others with us into this year while not while not compromising what is right and how do we hold both of those mm. thank you oh and you have a patreon you should oh i have a patreon also um i i guess that's just my name too I don't actually know. I don't know how to get to it. You, it's, if you go on my Twitter, there's a link. There'll be a link to it. Um, I always love reading your pieces. You get about you get, you get in, each month the piece. This one started with I'd already invited Laura Jean on the podcast, and this this one starts with I'm not making any resolutions. I'm like, oh well. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> no, see how, like, we'll see how the episode goes. <laughs> but the, the people, the piece wasn't about that. Though. No, no. It was, well, anyways, anyways, anyways. No, it was a beautiful, beautiful piece, and and, and and yeah. So people should definitely check out your Patreon if they can. <laughs> Uh, I'm on Facebook and Twitter. Um, I, I think as Laura Jean said, I'm super keen to keep, you know, doing the proverbial nagging of Ed, like keeping the church and academy talking together uh, gently and and uh, with good engagement. You know, the kind of, I think Willie Jennings talks about mutual transformation and that's, I think that's what's happened today and let's keep doing that. Um, my, I'll, I'll echo um, the late, wonderful Rachel Held Evans when she said, your name is beloved and that name is enough. I'm going to carry the proverbial nagging of Ed forward into eternity, by the way. (laughs) 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 Fantastic. Um, I am on Twitter too, at Skylar J. And, but I am trying to carry into 2021 and I'm going to have to remember to listen to this segment again so I can hear myself say it (laughs) is uh take a break like a real break just being at home doesn't mean that we're having a break and uh because we can't do the work if we don't we we don't have the energy for it Mm. um so that's what what I'm I'm carrying carrying in breaks are good Breaks are great. That that feels like um, I had. It's funny because I had originally was like, I want to do an episode between like New Year's and Christmas. You know, I've been on a weekly streak for a while with the podcast. I'll take a take one off, maybe take two off, and then I had this idea, and I'm like, Yeah, I'm gonna keep doing it. Let's 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 rock and roll. Let's record. Um, Put out the call. Uh, So I should maybe listen. Um, Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for, for joining today. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope whether you caught this on New Year's Eve or sometime in 2021, uh, I hope it has been an enjoyable listen. You can follow the show at Rinse Repeat Pod or follow me at Miller 87 and find plenty more at loverinsrepeat.com. Uh, thanks for tuning in. And actually, and, and I will plug, there actually is going to be a part two of New Year's Theolutions just uh, with a, a whole new array of guests so get excited that that will come out next week um i'm sure there's gonna be plenty more to talk about so my a big thanks to my guests round of applause wherever you are in your homes and uh and yeah we'll see you next week <laughs>